With more than a few experts on the air offering help to families and guidance for parents, you might wonder what in the world we're doing here. Why the License to Parent broadcast? What prompted our host Trace Embry to start helping parents and teens? And what keeps them going? Well, during the next half hour, we'll begin a series of programs focused on the beginnings of Shepherd's Hill Academy and how God brought Trace Embry along a journey of faith to begin that ministry and this radio program. That's next on License to Parent. Hello and welcome once again to our broadcast. I'm Rich Rosel and our host, as always, is the founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy, one of the nation's premier Christ-centered residential treatment programs for troubled teenagers. And uh, Trace, based on what you're wearing today, I'd say it's also a home for wayward cowboys. Well, our studios are located here at uh, Shepherd's Hill and uh, which is you know an 80, 86-acre farm complete with uh, equine therapy and, and the whole nine yards. And we are coming right outside a horse pasture. The studio is right, uh, right in the middle of it all. That's true. If we had a big plate glass window here, we'd probably have a dozen horses watching the broadcast. But uh, you don't uh, actually get much time to ride and do that sort of thing, do you? No, I'm really more into horsepower than I am into horses, but my work keeps me pretty busy, so I wear the spurs around just to keep them from getting rusty. Well, that's that's a good plan. Uh, the reason we mention all this, of course, is because Trace, as founder of Shepherd's Hill Academy, has a story to tell, and that's what we're going to be doing today. In fact, uh, Trace, you've got a story about all that God brought you and your family through over the past several decades and the result of that journey has been not only this facility, but of course the License to Parent broadcast as well. And that is going to be our focus over the next couple of weeks here on the program. Yeah, Rich, you know, uh, I, I can't think of a more unconventional guy that God could have possibly used than me to to start a school, a residential program for troubled teens. Uh, I've always felt so inadequate. I've come from dysfunction as far as my growing up. But, you know, Romans 8.28 says that uh, all things work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And, you know, going back uh, through the the decades, I can see that the things that I experienced growing up and then as a young adult uh, really uh, were God's ways, uh, whether I believed it or not or understood it or not, of laying the groundwork and, and building in me the qualities and the experience to help prepare me for what I do today. And you mentioned this, I think, in a past broadcast, the fact that really God, throughout history, has not been looking for people who already have the ability to do what he sets before them. He's looking for their availability. He provides the ability. And, you know, like you said, why would a person like me end up here? Well, it's because you made yourself available to Christ, and we want to hear some of that story today. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line, making yourself available. And it isn't just for me. I mean, there's a million people out there listening that— if they made themselves available to God, could be experiencing a ministry in their own vocations. God used lay people uh, to write the Bible, for crying out loud. Uh, he, he used lay people to do some of the greatest things in, in, the, in the history of the world. Jesus was a carpenter. Paul was a tent maker. Uh, David was a shepherd. Matthew was a uh, tax collector, on and on and on. And, uh, you know, I think that as we live out a God consciousness, whether we're butchers, bakers, or candlestick makers, it really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. We all have a ministry. And I know that, you know, regarding the, the abilities that you laid out for the people in the Bible, God's Bible, God's Word is His example to us of how we can become those types of people. 
And I know you've often said that the Bible really is the ultimate handbook for how we're to live. It's the, the handbook for the husband and wife and, and the parent-child relationship, for that matter. Now, for you, did you grow up in a Christian home? Did this Was this taught to you as a child? No, not at all, actually. I, I, I grew up in a home that was... Uh, uh, I was a result of young parents. My parents were like 19 and 20 years old when they were mm-hmm. married, and I, would, I come shortly thereafter. And, uh, they were immature. Uh, I, I have pictures of myself uh, holding at two years old a 40-ounce bottle of Schlitz and a Camel cigarette in the other hand. And, you know, my, my, my dad would, uh, <laughs> would, would have me fight with my cousin like gladiators and, 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 uh, for sport, for his friends. And we, you know, so I come from a pretty rough background. My parents were divorced when I was five years old. Uh, lots of dysfunction on both his second marriage and my mom's second marriage. And, uh, and yet I gleaned, uh, a lot of insights from, from both of those, uh, scenarios because my mom's family was run totally different than the way my dad's family was run. Hmm. And I guess I took the best out of both worlds and, and chewed up the wheat and spit out the, the stick, so to speak. Uh, but, uh, I can remember being sent to church a few times and uh and then when i was about 12 years old uh, uh befriending uh, a pastor's son but you know when it come to uh, uh signing up for little league or going to a doctor's office anywhere you had to sign papers hmm. uh when it come to the religion part which i don't even know if they have that anymore in certain forms i was always just told just put protestant just put protestant you know to, to fill in the blank and that was pretty much the extent of my my religious upbringing well, I remember as a kid growing up, I was raised in a Christian home, but at the same time, it, it's kind of like, well, yeah, we're Protestants. You know, mm-hmm. there, there wasn't much differentiation in that. So if you mm-hmm. weren't Catholic or you weren't Jewish, for example, you must be Protestant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. We didn't, we didn't put a whole lot of weight on that, at least not growing up as a kid. Well, what, what changed for you? Because if, if you didn't grow up in a Christian home and you, you said your parents— sent you to church a few times. Why was that? Well, I'll tell you one thing I learned from my dad that is just um, invaluable. Every week from the time I was five years old, every Friday, he never missed a Friday picking me up. And I would spend weekends mm-hmm. with my dad. And and uh, at that house uh, on Sunday morning, I was sent uh, occasionally, not all the time, but to a, a Methodist church in town. And we'd walk there, walk back. And that was pretty much the extent of my, uh, my re- religious upbringing. Was this probably one of these things about well, you know, religion's fine. We we want our kids to be to be brought up uh, with some understanding of religion, but it's not for us. Pretty much, you know, and yeah. that was the message I got. You know, yeah. I, the message I got uh, for the most part was uh, it was a babysitter. It was a way to mm-hmm. uh, you know, mom and or my stepmother and my and my dad to be home uh, alone for a while. You know, but. But the fact that he picked me up every weekend, yeah. that spoke something uh, on another level as well. You know, for parents of kids who are experiencing your second marriage, uh, being there is half the battle. There's also the element of consistency. No that doubt. Comes in there, and we talk about that a lot. And if your dad never failed in that, mm-hmm. uh, you found that he was a person who, who, even though he may not have been present Monday through Thursday, mm-hmm. he was still someone you could count on. Yeah, and that consistency is so important. And you know, in other programs that we uh, we do here in License Apparent, we talk about consistency and, and the fact that uh, without that, uh, you you really bring a sense of insecurity to your child. But the fact that my dad was there every uh, Friday yeah. spoke something to me. And in Hebrews, the Bible talks about our fathers disciplined us as they thought best or raised us, let's say, mm-hmm. as they thought best. Uh, and we respected them for it. 
but that brought a tremendous sense of security to me uh, that I, you know, regardless of all the other dysfunction, I could see through that. There was something that that spoke to the, the deeper part of who I was that, uh, you know, helped really uh, lay the foundation for my wanting to be a good father when I, you know, became a father. So let's bring this forward then. You mentioned the, uh, the, the pastor that, you, that befriended you, I guess, as, as you were a kid in this Methodist church. How did you get from, from the point of being the, the uh, occasional weekend attender to actually saying, I want this for me. I, I, I want to find out what this is all about in my life. Well, the Methodist church was, was ac- actually uh, in my dad's town okay. on the weekends. The Baptist church was uh, the, the uh, pastor's son was the kid I befriended when my mom's husband and that family moved into a neighborhood. I befriended this kid who was a pastor's son, and um, I got the uh, Dairy Queen bribe to go to church on, on Wednesdays, and, <laughs> and it worked. And, uh, you know, one day I, I walked the aisle, and for about a year I was uh, serious about pursuing the Lord. Uh, but um, the pastor's son didn't seem to be as serious as I was. And so I, I just kind of uh, backslid into your garden variety uh, heathen lifestyle. Not not terrible, but just uh, just you wouldn't recognize me as a committed believer, let's put it that way. Mm. And, and that took place uh, for the next 20 years. I, I wow. did not live like a hell's angel, but I certainly didn't live like an angel either. So you wandered away, but 20 years later, apparently you did come back. Why, why did it take you so long to get to the point where you started living out what you said you believed? Several things, Rich. Uh, I think what took so long largely was the fact that it was the early 80s uh, when uh, I was newly married and, and pursuing the American dream that the whole, you know, uh, he who dies with the most toys wins mindset, the me-ism of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. And, and I had uh, been involved in several businesses. I think that was part of it. Uh, Two, I was a slow learner, still am. But I think the, the thing that really uh, capped it all off uh, as far as coming back to the Lord was when we started having kids. And my oldest son uh, was just a few years old when someone asked me, how are you going to raise him? Well, I, I was actually um, set back by that question. I I wanted to be the cool parent, the hip parent, I guess. And I said what I <laughs> condemn so many parents for saying, I'm going to let him figure that out. You know, I actually said, you know, I'm not going to uh, sway his his view about God and, and influence him. That way. He'll, he'll figure that out. What a stupid thing for me to say. I, you know, we sign off most programs here in Licensed Parent with, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. Well, I've come a long way from those days. You know, we had five bedrooms, three baths, and a house in the burbs. Everything was going well. Business mm. was good. And I woke up one morning, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to do this today and tomorrow and the day after that. And, uh, you know, I, I think the more affluent we become, I think sometimes, uh, like Robbie Zacharias says, we become weary of pleasure before we become weary of pain. And you just kind of kind of get bored with things. And uh, so I, I was kind of depressed sometimes because— mm. I didn't have any challenges, it seemed like. And then I had a buddy of mine uh, who I uh, had grown up with uh, since childhood. We were policemen together, and he was always smiling. And, and then within just a month or two, he had lost his home, filed bankruptcy, wife left him, and uh, dad committed suicide. And yet was smiling. And he, he invited me to church one day. And uh, I reluctantly went, and uh, there was an interim pastor, and uh, 
uh, he had some things going on in that church that uh, just uh, made my wife and I feel very, very uncomfortable. Uh, and so we, we looked at each other and said, we're not coming back here. And yet he, he reminded me it was an interim pastor and begged me to come back. The new pastor was coming the following week. I did. There was something that pastor said that, that uh, made me believe that I needed to go back again. And my spiritual uh, development, my discipleship, my relationship with God, my intimacy with God really took off at that particular point. And now, rather than just knowing that uh, you know, I need to obey the Ten Commandments, I uh, started hearing the specific things of life from God, you know, whether to comb my hair, or brush my teeth first in the morning, what job to take or what, uh, you know, uh, house to buy, things like that. And that became an exciting journey for me. Okay, so so what I'm hearing then is it was the real people. It was the, the, the boy down the street who was the son of the pastor. It was this, uh, you know, this friend who invited you in, you know, just real life personal one-on-one ministry that uh, that got you to thinking about the the deeper issues in your own life yeah and, and you know the the sermons and the, and the uh, the theology uh, scripture itself had to apply to real life uh, which is basically what discipleship is and uh, you know the Matthew 28 is go out and make disciples it doesn't talk about just converts mm-hmm. uh, Matthew 23:15 kind of uh, alludes to the fact that there'll be converts in hell. Uh, Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you travel over land and sea to make a single convert, and when it becomes one, you've made him twice as much a son of hell as you are. And, uh, you know, that was kind of my previous background at 12 years old. You know, say the right words, presto, you're in. And yet I didn't seem to have any fruit for 20 years to uh, to back up what I, what I said I believed. The people here at this church were living out what the scriptures uh, talked about. And that's uh, really the foundation of what I wanted Shepherd's Hill Academy to be, a place where an environment was created where these kids could rub shoulders with responsible adults and other kids Hmm. and see that this stuff really works in real time, in real life. And of course, with the radio program, we want to carry that over across the airways as well. And using Shepherd's Hill is kind of like the proving ground for for the validity of, Mm -hmm. uh, of the gospel and 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 discipleship. Well, now you mentioned your your police work and and other businesses that you'd been in. You had a lucrative job at the time. What was it that led you into full time ministry? I mean, so many people do let their their workplace be their pulpit, but mm-hmm. Shepherd's Hill Academy is a full fledged ministry. What what made that transition? Well, first of all, I think all Christians, as I kind of alluded to, uh, are in full time ministry. Not all of us get paid for it. I remember when I went to Bible college saying that, you know what, I'm probably going to spend money here at Bible college four years, leave and have to get a job to support the ministry that, that uh, God's called me to. But fortunately for us, uh, we are now in a position where, you know, we wake up in the morning and uh, we're getting paid working for God. That's that to me is a, is a real blessing. But there's that still small voice that you hear so much about, this constraint to pursue a particular thing that God has called you to do. Uh, And then there's the circumstances uh, that God puts you in, and you have to kind of recognize when God shows up in certain things. You know, my wife, she had the same feelings that I was having at the time, that God wanted to use us in full-time ministry as a vocation. Our, Our pastor, he calls me out of the blue. Uh, says, Trace, in 20 years of pastoring, I've never done this, but have you considered Bible college? Well, he didn't know that Beth and I were thinking about that already. 
uh, every radio program that I had listened to, uh, there was some pastor talking directly to me that I should give all away, sell what I could sell and pursue uh, the ministry. God spoke to me in no uncertain terms that I was to leave the business that I'd started. Mm. Uh, we had a business for five years that took drunks home from bars and restaurants. We had Walter Payton, a, a football Hall of Famer, and Foster Brooks, who used to be on uh, Johnny Carson and played a drunk uh, as spokesman for our program. We served 260 bars and restaurants throughout the Chicago area. God says, uh, leave that. Just leave it. Didn't know why, you know, so we had to kind of step out in faith right there. And in doing so, I still had to feed my family. Mm. And yet, because of the faith that it took to leave that particular business, uh, God blessed, I believe, the other one that we started, which was a roofing company of all things. I didn't know what else to do. I had to feed my kids. And so we started a roofing company, and every contractor I contracted with, I told him, I said, I'm probably going to be in this business for a year and a half, two years, tops. And I'm off to Bible college. And yet I made more money in that two years than I made in the previous business. It was a launching pad uh, for ministry. And God would use that craft, which I didn't even know all that well when I started it, to really help fund Shepherd's Hill Academy from the beginning and, and get me through Bible college. You're listening to a special edition of Licensed to Parent. Trace's story of the beginnings of Shepherd's Hill Academy. We'll continue right after this. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job, and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit helpmytroubledteen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. Help by TroubledTeen.org. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? HelpMyTroubledTeen.org.
This is Licensed to Parent with Trace Embry, today talking about the beginnings of Shepherd's Hill Academy. And Trace, uh, before the break, you raised an interesting point, and that is, I, I know that some people who, when they feel they've been called by God to some special, specific purpose, they set everything aside and they jump into it with no visible means of support. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, they would say, well, I'm stepping out on faith. On the other hand, I'm reminded of the scripture that talks about not building the tower until you've considered the cost. How did that fine balance work for you? I mean, you you felt God was calling you to this. Clearly, you had what many might call supernatural uh, communication in so many areas, your wife and you know, your pastor and uh, the radio pastors and things like that. And yet you looked and and found a way that you could provide for your family. Um, where where does the faith step in versus taking care of yourself in that? I think we have to remember that faith isn't complete until it's acted upon. And as you obey the light God gives you, he gives you more light. I don't think we were going anywhere until I obeyed that still small voice that said, leave your business. Okay. Now, here I am leaving a business not knowing what I'm going to do. Right. And unless you think I'm super spiritual, we we, <laughs> we set a date on, on leaving that business and then reneged six months later. And and when we reneged, everything seemed to just crumble in our lives. People weren't paying their bills as far as the business is concerned. Uh, just, I, I can't even remember. I just remember the Lord was serious, get another date and stick to it. And so we did. And so we had to write all these these business contacts we had, these bars and restaurants, and say the show is over. I tried to sell the business, didn't work out. And I did the only thing that I, I felt like uh, I knew how to do, and that was put roofs on houses. And it, it was almost as if uh, uh, God had it all sorted out ahead of time, and we had to trust him. We didn't really know where we were going, Rich, but I did know enough that I told these contractors that we worked with, I'm only going to be here for a mm. year and a half, two years, and yet we contracted with some of the biggest construction companies in, in, in Northwest Indiana as if we were going to be in the business forever. And uh, I, I like what Oswald Chambers says. He says, you cannot attain to a vision. You must live in the inspiration of the vision until the vision accomplishes itself. Because at that time, I couldn't have told you that we were going to be working with kids. All mm. I knew was God wanted to use Beth and me in full-time ministry, even if that full-time ministry needed to be supplemented by a business or right. a job or whatever. So what was the next step? What happened after this? Well, we stepped out in faith and looked at colleges. And uh, the vice president of my company showed me a Moody Monthly magazine that had uh, an advertisement for uh, uh, Tacoa Falls College in Georgia. My pastor wanted me to go to Springfield, Missouri and come back and you know probably be a youth or pastor, an assistant pastor in the church. And yet... When we went to Springfield, the Lord did not give us the peace that that was the place to go. So we paid our own way and went to Tacoa Falls, but we visited first. And that faith that it took to actually get in the car and drive to Tacoa mm-hmm. and, and tour uh, the campus, I think God honored that and then gave us more light that we had to obey subsequent. And, and uh, you've mentioned this twice. You were talking about having the peace or having the guidance. This was something you and your wife both felt mm-hmm. very strongly about it. And that's something that's so important. Um, I, I've talked to a number of people who have either known it ahead of time or recognized it strongly afterwards that 
Quite often, whether you're a man or a woman, your spouse is your best counsel and is often the mouthpiece that God uses to speak truth into your life about something. So you acted on not just what God was saying to you, but on the fact that he was confirming it in Beth. Yeah, and that was a tremendous advantage because she she affirmed what God was telling me, and uh, I guess I affirmed what God was telling her. Uh, oftentimes, uh, spouses don't agree on things like this, so it makes it a whole lot more difficult. But that is the icing on the cake, so to speak, mm. uh, as far as knowing when God's telling you to do something. Okay, so you came to Tacoa Falls College, and what happened next? Well, you know what, Rich? We we, we toured the place on a Saturday, and uh, we didn't even have to pray about it. I mean, I looked at her, she looked at me. It was like, okay, you get the heat and lights, and I'll take care of the house and sell the business, and you get this, you get that. And all the way home, the prayer was not whether we should do it. It was, Lord, confirm this. Confirm that this is the right thing to do. We, we prayed that prayer pretty much all the way home. We knew that that's where we were supposed to go. We get home late Saturday night. I get a call from my church. They said, would you pick up the music minister uh, at O'Hare Airport uh, the, the very next morning? That, they've never asked me to do that. I, I drive 60 miles to pick up the music minister for church that Sunday morning, and I asked the guy, where are you coming from? He says, uh, you never, you, you've never heard of it. Uh, I said, well, try me. He says, well, just some little school down south. I said, well, where? He says, a little place called Tacoa Falls College. I said, I was invited to your concert. I said, but I, I chose to come home, didn't know I was going to be picking you up. So that was one little confirmation we felt. The other one was when I went to tell my mom, uh, I, Mom, I'm, I'm, your oldest son's moving away. We're going to Bible college. And you know, her question was the same as everyone else's. Where's that at? She no, no sooner got that out of her mouth. And in the dining room, my young son said, here it is, Graham. And on her calendar, uh, was a picture of the 186-foot waterfall to Coal College. I said, Mom, that's where I'm going, right there. The next one was when I called my best buddy, and uh, I, I told him I was moving away, and he says, of course, where's that at? Coal College, where's that at? And uh, after some discussion, I hang the phone up. I get a phone call about five minutes later, and uh, he says, hey, I was just talking to my brother Bob. He lives out in California. He says, that's a great school. He teaches at Tacoa's sister college, Simpson, out in, in, in California. He knows a bunch of uh, professors there. It's a world-renowned college. So that was, that was another uh, confirmation. And then um, we went to Tacoa to try to find a place to live. Uh, we ended up buying a single-wide mobile home. We had never heard of the Christian Missionary Alliance, which was what Tacoa Falls College predominantly uh, was, and asked someone uh, at the college, show me where there's one in my town and, and, or near my town, and sure enough, there was one in the town that I was a policeman in for six hmm. years. But they met in the community center, so I didn't—I I never knew that we had a church there. So when I went back there, we attended it, and here was this young pastor preaching his guts out. And uh, when it was over with, I approached him, and we struck up conversation. And come to find out, he was an intern at Tacoa Falls College. He was just interning there. He wasn't the pastor, and uh, said he needed a, a, a vehicle to transport his stuff back to his senior year in college. He ended up putting all this stuff in our U-Haul, and we uh, ended up taking it back to Tacoa Falls College that that uh, that August. Um, and then the very last day uh, uh, before we loaded up the U-Haul to move to Tacoa Falls from our house, our employees got together and said, um, you know, there's no sense in closing this business down. Can we buy it from you? 
And uh, that actually got us through the first year at Tacoma Falls, them making us some small monthly payments. This was the roofing. The, the, yeah, we yeah. had 12 employees, and they all, uh, uh, some got saved while, you know, after coming aboard as employees. And uh, uh, as we're loading the, the, the U-Haul, they approached me and said, listen, you know, we know you, we all have to look for other jobs, but we got together and said, can we buy this from you? I never gave it a thought. And so the day before we left, we started drawing up the, the, the papers for them to buy the roofing company from me, which, again, helped us through college that first year because we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any jobs lined up. It was just a, a, a total step of faith, but God filled in the blanks. Mm. Well, this is quite a story, Trace, but unfortunately, we're going to have to continue it next week. So be sure to join us again then. For Trace Embry and the entire staff of Shepherd's Hill Academy and the Licensed to Parent Broadcast, I'm Rich Rosel. Folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. We'll see you next time.